Now you can begin to make your way to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 through 5 this morning as we continue the second week of our study through the book of Colossians again. Uh, Colossians 1, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. If you don't have a Bible or don't have your phone with you, you can find a copy of God's Word in the back of the pew in front of you. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, there's a table of contents at the front that's going to let you know where the book of Colossians is to be found. And then as we make our way through, the large numbers are chapters and the small numbers are verses. Before we go to Colossians, I want to start us in, in Matthew 6 in uh, just this, this word. Man, this is, a, this is an odd week, right? This is an insanely busy news cycle. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of uh, panic globally. There's a lot of panic in some of our own hearts and some of our own lives wondering how these things are going to work out. I want to kind of recenter our affections, recenter our attention on this word from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And then we'll, we'll look at Colossians. Matthew 6. Look at verse 19. Jesus speaks and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Globally, we have an opportunity to look around and, and see not only in the lives of people in our country, some of us in our own hearts, but, but really globally, where the treasures of the people of this world live. The thought of their own mortality, the thought of our own mortality causes terrific panic in us. It has this, this unbelievable impact on our decisions, on our thought life. As many of us are, are given to just complete and utter abandon of, of reason. I think you see that in the massive onslaught to the toilet paper industry. I mean, there's some people worried about problems I hope I never have. What Jesus gives us an indication of here is specifically a reference to finances, but it, there's an indication that there's something so much greater there and something so much less than. I mean, the kingdom is worthy of our attention. Look at what he goes on to say in 25 through 34. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And he asks this question, are you not more valuable than they? Christian, are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon... And all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into, into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? When the Gentiles 
seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Listen to what he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What Paul gives us here in Colossians 1, 3 through 5 is this timely word that prayer for others takes our focus off of ourselves and redirects it to the work of the gospel. Prayer for others, being, being invested, carrying the needs of others to our Heavenly Father takes our focus off of ourselves, off of our worries, off of our troubles and redirects it to the work of the gospel. Let's read together Colossians chapter 1. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this I have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So Paul sets up this, this amazing instruction to this church there in Colossae. Now it's, it's interesting to remember and it's instructive for us to know that Paul did not have a personal investment. He has no personal attachment to this church. He didn't establish uh, the church there in Colossae. He heard about uh, this church, in fact, uh, from Epaphras. And so he's come to learn about them and now he's coming to pray for them. Now, the fascinating thing about this is, look what he says there. He says, we always thank God. And so Paul is kind of giving us this directive for, in some sense, what our prayers need to look like. He says, we need to recognize that God is the one who ultimately receives and can act upon our prayer. And so he tells us, as, as Christians, that this is what we need to be like. And, and look at where his thanks is directed. His thanks isn't headed towards that church in Colossae and saying, thank you for being faithful. Instead, he recognizes that their ability to be faithful, their ability to be loving, their ability to be hopeful is all tied to the work of God in their hearts. Amen? And this is where we find ourselves today. We are desperately in need of God's active intervention in our lives, not to end this pandemic solely, but we need God's active intervention in our lives to keep us moving along and glorifying him. And we desperately need to know this. Now look at how he characterizes God the Father. If you get into to chapter 1 and verse 2, look what he had written. He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so where you and I sit, where they sat, we recognize that God is our Heavenly Father, right? But look at what he does to this. He says, we always thank God, and who is he? He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's giving us this indication that not only is God our Father, but he's his Father. And if he's his Father, that makes Jesus our brother. And who is our brother? Our brother is the sovereign Lord, the Messiah, over all of the universe. So any hope and confidence we have is not in our own ability. It's not in our own uh, selves, any hope or confidence we have stems from our faith tethered to God through our brother Jesus. And this is right where we want it. Amen? Now, Paul had no connection to this church. And so you might ask yourself the question, why then will Paul pray for a church that he's never been to, that he's never gone to, that he's got no personal connection to? Well, in this, he's giving us this incredible indication of what our lives as Christians should be like. We should be 
actively praying for those we may never meet. We should be actively praying for those that we've never met. One of the reasons why is because God has allowed us to be part of this larger family of faith. And being a part of this larger family of faith, we pray for our family members, right? And so when I go home, if I were to get a call from my mom and she says, Mom, she says, Matt, this is what's going on with your dad. This is what's going on with your brother. We need you to pray. I'm going to pray for that. And I think, I think most of you, hopefully, you do the same thing, right? Come on now. Some of the people online are praying, but some of us in this room, we've got some issues. But what he's saying in the midst of this is giving us this indication of what it looks like to pray for people. We have no, no social reason. We have no social pressure to pray for. He's giving us this indication that the Christian family is much larger and that as a member of this family, we have an obligation to invest ourselves in the lives of those we may never come in contact with. This is the beautiful thing God allows us to do. There's so much happening globally that is so much more impactful and dire than any situation that we're going to encounter in, in our conception of Western Christianity. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Nigeria, who are some of whom are at risk for losing their lives to Islamist extremists. We need to be in prayer for them. We need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Somalia, who when they come to faith, most certainly will face uh, intense persecution. We spoke last week about two brothers who were driven from the country. We need to be in prayer for brothers and sisters in Christ in Iran who are coming to faith in record numbers. Christianity is growing so incredibly fast in Iran that some incredibly liberal accounts count this as hundreds of thousands and upwards of a million people of faith living in Iran. A woman was released from prison this week for sharing the gospel. In prison she was abused, in prison she was beaten, and now she's cast on the street and awaiting full sentencing. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we will likely never meet these faithful saints for the gospel. But as Western Christians who have access to the internet, we have access to all kinds of databases, we can know them, we can know their stories, and we already know the creator, sovereign God of the universe, who can affect their present reality. Do we believe this? And do you have this sense of unction and this sense of urgency that would burden you to pray for them? When we move beyond the global and begin to think of the local, we can think of no shortage of local churches who are going through incredible difficulties right now. Churches with pastoral transition where the pastor stepped down or the pastor had some sense of moral failure and this church is struggling and we can know their stories, we can see them in the streets, we can see them in their homes and we should be praying for them. We can think of our local churches who are struggling with the issues of cultural uh, conditions and, and, and what will they accept and what will they reject and how will it look like for them to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as local churches, and we're here in this trench together, we are here in this battlefield together, contesting for the gospel together, you and I should be caught up in prayer for our local brothers and sisters. Amen? 
Paul gives us this beautiful picture of what it looks like for us to labor alongside one another in prayer and to pray to God and be thankful for him and for his work in the many churches, not just of our community, but the global community. This is the good work that he calls us to. But let's look at the substance of Paul's prayer for them. Not only does he thank God, but he thanks God specifically for a couple of things on their behalf. He said, we thank God when we pray for you. Why? Verse 4, because we've heard of your faith and your love for the saints. I want you to see in verse 4 that there's this vertical connection that they have. There's this faith in God, but there's also this horizontal application. And so this gives us an indication that if you're here today, if you're hearing this listening, and you have this amazing walk with Jesus, if if you have this fabulous, amazing, phenomenal walk with Jesus, like he walks with me, he talks with me, it's just kind of how you roll out of bed in the morning, but you don't have a passion to turn the world upside down. This is not representative, according to Carl F. H. Henry. This is not reflective of apostolic Christianity. This is normative Christianity, that our faith tethered to God presents itself in radical application to those around us. If our faith tethered to God is not reflective in our visitation of love on our brothers and sisters around us locally and globally, then I would question what your faith tether is actually doing. There's no siloed version of our faith. There's no siloed application of our faith. Our faith connection to God commands and compels us to be actively involved and invested in the lives of the people around us and globally in the community that God has given to us. Amen? As the people of God, this is what he calls us to do. But Paul writes and he says, since we've heard of your faith. Well, so let's think about this idea of their faith. We think first of, of their faith being kind of in Christ and this good work that Jesus has accomplished. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, speaking of the work of Jesus, says this. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. This gives us an indication of what work Jesus has accomplished. He came, he lived a perfectly sinless life, he died on a cross, he bore our sins, and God raised him on the third day. Amen? And in this, it creates the possibility where you and I might be joined to God through faith. God has sent his son to die so that you and I might be joined to him through faith. And then we respond to the gospel, Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. We are saved by faith in Jesus. It's not the action of our faith, but it's the action of his surrender. It's the action of his crucifixion. It's the action of God resurrecting him. And it's our union with him through faith that lets us be saved. And saved to what? Not simply saved to security to kick back and watch the world around us burn. Not to kick back and say, this is fine. Everybody can panic. I'm going to sit here in my world of isolation and not engage. It has been the pattern. It has been the mission. It has been the operation of the Christian church since its foundation. That when the world around us burns, we don't kick back. We engage. This is a time to engage. This is a time to point to hope. 
This is a, a time to live differently. This is a time to live reflectively. And this is a time to live submissively to the good thing that God has done in us. Amen? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to live a cruciform existence. A life taking all of our application, a life taking all of our freedoms and submitting all of these things to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Asking ourselves and submitting our petitions to him in prayer. God, what would you have me to do in this season of uncomfortableness? God, what would you have me to do in this season of cultural panic? God, how would you have me to serve at this time? Christians, our prayers in this time can't be for isolation. Our, 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 our hearts and our actions can't be in one of indifference and removing ourselves from the plight of this world. But as the people of God sent out to be ambassadors for him, we have to willingly accept suffering if it means to, if that's what it costs to serve. Amen? Convinced that God has allowed you and I to be in this time to be servants for the cross. Not that we might be wise, kick back, hoard toilet paper and hand sanitizer and say, we've got it, come and get it. It's really just a great price. 25% off market. So you four rolls for 24. But as Christians, we want to be those who are wise with the gospel and extending it constantly. So he's heard of their faith and he's heard of their love that they have for all the saints. So great was the love of the Colossian church that Paul, where he sits likely in a Roman jail, heard tell of it. That, some, that Epaphras came to Paul and he said, listen, you've got to know how much these people love Jesus. And how much their love of Jesus is being translated into love of their fellow brothers and sisters there in Colossae and even to you, Paul, here in prison. And so the question we ask ourselves is, is my faith in Christ resulting in love for the saints? Is, is your faith in Christ resulting in love for the saints? And you might quickly answer that and say, well, of course it is. So I respond and say, well, how? How today? How today? How yesterday how are you planning to let your love of christ be visited upon those around you in the midst even of this crisis we recognize that our love for the saints cannot merely be theoretical it's this idea where notionally we know that we are saved and we are saved to be engaging but our love for those around us cannot merely be theoretical because if it's theoretically then it's actually worthless listen to me if your love for those around you is only theoretical, then it is actually worthless and empty. It, means no, it makes no difference to anyone if it's not leading to some form of action for someone other than yourself and your family. It is natural for you to sacrifice and suffer for your family. It is unnatural for you to do that to people with whom you have no connection. And this is what he calls us to. Let's think through some of these things. Some of the things that for us, just kind of practically thinking through this of what it will look like for us, to, not only to love the saints, but to love the people in our community, is that we would be patient and forgiving. That we would be patient and forgiving. Some of our family, Valerie and I's family, lives in the Houston area, and one of our family members was at the grocery store this week and saw two women get in an all-out fight over a bottle of hand soap. 
Now listen, I'm all for washing your hands 20 seconds and doing that multiple times a day, but not, not at the end of having to punch somebody in the nose to get that soap, right? If you have to go without soap, just walk around and just say, as we said historically, unclean, unclean, unclean. <laughs> I guarantee you, people are going to give you a wide berth. We need to be patient. We need to be forgiving. Our love needs to seek opportunities to serve. Our love needs to seek opportunities to serve. Tomorrow morning, our elders are going to get together and think through what are some practical ways we can serve members of our church. If this continues, if this goes on, and, and it's no longer uh, safe or it's no longer practical for certain members of our faith community to go out and to buy groceries, uh, to begin the, uh, the epic quest of finding toilet paper, man, we as a body need to make sure we're taking care of each other. Amen? And we as a body need to find ways to be engaged and to take care of the people of our community. For some of us, that means checking in on our neighbors. You have older neighbors who are there and they don't have access to technology. And so they're not even forming community in that way. Maybe their family doesn't live here. You need to be checking in on them to make sure they're okay, to make sure they have everything they need. Find practical ways to serve the people around you. Our love needs to seek opportunities to serve. Certainly, we need to be praying for one another. Certainly, we need to be praying for those who are sick. We need to be praying for the lost of our community, who their supreme goal in all of this is not to get sick, not to die, because for them, this life is all they have. We can, we can pray for them. We can pray for others. We can call. Man, our online directory is a helpful deal. You can go through and you can call people and say, listen, I'm praying for you. I just wanted to reach out to you. I just wanted to visit with you for a while. We need to be finding way, creative ways to foster community. We are a people together, not a people separate, distinct, and siloed. Amen? One of the things that we need to do or need to be re ready and willing to do in the midst of this, a way to love people is to stay away. Some of us are so incredibly kind and giving that it doesn't matter how sick you are, you're dragging in, you know, sweat pouring down from your fever, snot running out of your nose, bleary-eyed. Everybody around you is whispering, unclean, unclean. But still you're here and still you're coming in. The way that you can love this community in the midst of this is by not doing that. Just know that coming around and getting people around you sick is not a loving action. It's not a loving action. No, I say that, and most of you laugh, but there are one or two people in the room or in the hearing that are thinking, yeah, but he's not talking about me because I'm phenomenally talented. I'm so helpful. I just love visiting the elderly. Listen, they don't want your visit. Not in this time. If you're sick, stay home. Call them. You can't spread germs yet through the telephone. That technology's not there. Praise God. Amen. It's like the one technical limitation we're super excited about. I can't smell you, and I can't catch anything you've got through the telephone. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. So he calls them. He looks at them. Now, the fascinating thing I want you to see in this is he prays to God, thanking God for their faith and their love, but where have those come from? He says, verse 5, they have come from their hope. And where's their hope located? He says, you have faith and you have love because you have hope laid up for you in heaven. The temptation in the midst of this is going to be for you to find your hope in not getting sick. 
the temptation in this for you is going to be to find your hope in your family members not getting sick. Man, I'm so hopeful that no one in my family gets sick. Don't find your hope in that. Don't find your hope in the pandemic coming to an end quickly. Don't find your hope in, in a quick recovery to our economy. Don't find your hope in any of these things. Find your hope in the place where it can't suffer. Find your hope in the place where it can't be affected. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. First Peter, Peter's writing to this group of Christians caught up in the diaspora. They're, they've been exiled from their homes. They're living as exiles and aliens in a foreign land. And that's where we are. We're culturally exiled. And he tells them in chapter 1 and verse 4 that they have an inheritance. And he gives them this great news of their inheritance. He says, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. We have this unshakable, unassailable, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance kept in heaven for us. Our God is keeping it safe. Our God is keeping us safe. Our God is watching over us. We must not find our hopes in things we can lose when God has given us hope in something that can never be taken from us. Amen? You remember in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, for some significant period of time, we studied through the resurrection in chapter 15. And in chapter 15 and verse 19, Paul gives such an incredibly instructive word on hope. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Christian, there is cause for hope in the most discouraging of circumstances. There is cause for hope in sickness. There is cause for hope in famine, in war. There is cause for hope in loss of life. But it's not in this life. You have a hope that is unassailable. And here and now, we have opportunity to testify to that hope. You have an opportunity to engage and turn conversations with your neighbors and with, with people around you that is almost unprecedented within our current lifespan. People are thinking about their own mortality. Give them cause for hope. Give them cause for rejoicing. You have hope. You have cause. Would you share that with those around you? And would you testify to God's goodness in the way that you find hope even in this time? Our prayers for others our prayers of thanksgiving to God for others and for difficulties have a revolutionary opportunity to redirect our heart's focus from the problems around us to the good work of the gospel he has set within our sphere. Amen.
Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the work upon his cross. Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified by how we steward the days ahead of us. Father, I pray for those here or those in this hearing who have not submitted themselves to you. They're living desperately without hope or they have set their hope on something that is going to fail, something that will certainly disappoint. God, I pray that you would show to them your great love for them, extended to them through the death of your son and his resurrection and that you would call them to faith and belief as they confess their sins to you and they turn to you in repentance and faith asking to be saved Father I pray that you would be glorified and honored as we join our hearts together again in song God, I'm thankful for these believers in this room, for those joining us online. Keep us close to you. Keep us close to one another. We submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.